My name's um, Neil, and along with my wonderful wife, Kate, we um, lead this church, Southwest Son of Vineyard. If you're new here or you're visiting, you're very welcome. It's great to see you. Um, we're just going to look at the scriptures together for the next uh, half an hour or so. <coughs> um, and then, um, and then uh, we'll minister to one another and see what the Spirit of God wants to do. I just encourage you, um, just obviously while you're hanging on my every word, um, have one ear out just to the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit of God and the leading of the Spirit of God. And, and what will happen is um, at the end of the talk, we'll, we'll create a space just to be able to hear um, what the Spirit of God is saying to us um, as a church. And so just be listening out um, for the Lord and for uh, what he may have for us. Um, and then after that, and we've prayed for another, we'll um, go and have coffee. I think coffee will be off down in that um, uh, coffee cart down in the thing. Um, Alex, I'm going to swap over if that's right. That's ringing in my head. Hold on a second. Just talk about yourself. Does that work? Is that better? That's much better. Right. You lovely people. Um, so, yeah, that's better. Thank you. Um, if you've been around here at all over the um, last few weeks, over the next uh, few months, and in fact it may be uh, many months, we feel as a church that the Lord has called us to focus our attention on the subject of justice. So um, we've just finished a series on um, climate change and the environment. We had some amazing speakers. Uh, if you missed those, uh, check out the website. You can catch up with those. Um, over Advent, which starts next week, uh, next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent, um, our focus will be on how the birth of Jesus directly um, heralds the inauguration of God's kingdom of justice and then in the new year we're going to continue with that focus on justice as we have a look at what the scriptures have to say about things like um, gender inequality or the role of women um, particularly as it relates to uh, the role of women in the church um, race uh, identity and a whole host of other justice issues um, so, uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, I think, pretty much um, captures the heart of it all. And it says this, it says, See that justice is done, let mercy be your first concern, and humbly obey your God. And I, I'd, I'd quite like you to keep that verse sort of um, from Micah in mind as we look at the text for today. Um, so if you've got a Bible, turn with me to James um, chapter 2. The words might miraculously appear behind me. Um, but before we get into it, I, I, I feel like this might need a little bit of a health warning. Maybe not. I mean, we'll see. Um, but I just do want to kind of give you a little bit of a health warning. We've, we've gone through, if you've been around this church for a while, we've gone through the book of James, I think at least a couple of times over the last few years. And if you've been around, um, you'll recall that James doesn't pull his um, punches quite the opposite um, in fact. And so as we turn um, our attention this morning to how we can be a people of justice, um, maybe just sort of buckle in. And, and if, you, if you start to feel your hackles rise, um, 
uh, maybe get some more coffee, but perhaps um, just take a, a moment, just take a pause, just take a breath to pause and ask the Spirit of God why that might be. This is James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, that's exciting, isn't it? Now you're like really eagerly hanging on my every word. You're like, what's he going to say? It's going to be fine. You'll be fine. Uh, James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor person in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor person you say, you stand there or sit, at the, sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the laws lawbreakers. Uh, down to verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, um, the Apostle James, unlike the Apostle Paul, he, he doesn't so much um, tease apart the gospel, you know, break it up into all its component parts so, you know, to show us what the gospel is. James, on the other hand, rather assumes the gospel and shows us what our lives will look like if we actually believe it. And in this passage, speaking directly to the issue of justice, James is talking um, very helpfully for us as people who do this on a Sunday morning, um, the what, the why, and the how. Uh, what kind of community we've been called to be, why we need to be it, and how we can become it, all very straightforward. What kind of community have we been called to be? And, and the answer really is not rocket science. It's quite simply, we have been called to be a community of justice and mercy. If you take a look at the start of the passage, James says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Okay, well, what's that about? What's he mean? Well, if you go down to verse four, it says favoritism or, or preferential treatment is basically discrimination. And so what James is saying is that inside the church, inside any Christian community, there should be absolutely no favoring of one social group or one social class or one economic group or one cultural group over another. Because if there is, he says, um, then we've just become judges with evil thoughts and, and judges with evil thoughts is actually a term that means we've become like judges who take bribes 
So he's saying that if we treat one type of person, you know, in a preferential way over another, that's, that's injustice and that's wrong and that needs to end. And there's a great example of that, this kind of community that he's alluding to. Um, it's in Acts chapter 6. And Acts chapter 6, tell me, you know, have a look at it when you've got some, some time. Um, it's one of those passages that's really easy to read, uh, obviously, um, on the surface, but without necessarily realizing what it's all about. And Acts chapter 6 is actually about a community of justice. Uh, back in the early church in Jerusalem, there were two main cultural groups. There were the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, and then there were Hebrew-speaking Jews. And the Hellenistic Jews were um, very different culturally to the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And in the church, I mean, you can't imagine that this would happen, but in this church in Jerusalem, these two groups were kind of grating on one another. They, they weren't really happy with each other, and there was some friction between them, especially when it came to this thing called the daily distribution. And the daily distribution was this common fund that Christians gave to, out of which members of the church in Jerusalem who didn't have an income were supported, and it especially uh, favored um, widows. But Acts chapter 6 tells us that the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, they were complaining because basically they were saying that their widows were being shortchanged. So the leaders, the, as the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, you know, what are the apostles going to do about it? How are they going to tackle this? And in Acts chapter 6, it tells us that what they did is they appointed a whole new bunch of people to oversee the daily distribution. But what isn't necessarily obvious when you read this um, from the English is that all of the people who were appointed had Greek names, whereas all of the apostles had Hebrew names. And so here's what the apostles are doing. They knew that, they knew that this discrimination that was affecting the Hellenistic Jews, it, that it wasn't an overt thing. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like the Hebrew Jews were sitting around saying, oh, that's Hellenistic widows, you know, like, what can we do to sabotage them and starve them out? I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't happening at all, right? Um, that's not how these kinds of divisions and um, challenges and problems surface in churches. You know, they, they start with um, minor differences of uh, perception, and then there's a claim about one thing, then there's a counterclaim about something else, and then both kind of sides feel very put on. Um, but anyway, what the apostles did was they empowered a disempowered group. They said, in effect, we've got to take pains. We, we must take pains to make sure that all groups are treated equally here. And so they raise up this group of leaders from a particular um, uh, racial and cultural group that up until that point hadn't been well represented and they appointed them to be advocates for the people. You know, it's pretty obvious when you look at it, maybe, but it's also pretty ingenious. And, and the reason I'm telling you all of this is so that we get an idea of the ingenuity and the creativity and the intentionality that it takes to become a community of justice. And that we are to make every effort to be that community of justice. And so where we need to, we need to appoint people to positions of authority and influence to represent and advocate for groups and individuals that for whatever reason may have been underrepresented for too long. 
So that's why James is saying we must be a community of justice, so that we're not showing favoritism and we're not being discriminatory. Uh, secondly, we're not just being uh, called to be a community of justice, we're also being called to be a community of mercy. Uh, near the end of the passage, it says in verse 13, judgment, this is a lovely verse, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, I told you James doesn't pull his punches. So what's all this about? Well, again, although it makes us uncomfortable maybe, it's actually pretty self-explanatory. We are to be a merciful people and we'll be judged if we're not merciful. You know, when we think about mercy in English, it kind of, again, gets a little bit lost in translation. You know, we can easily think of mercy as being, you know, nice or being kind or being forgiving. Um, and in the New Testament, mercy can mean that, you know, like in the gen general sense, but it also has a more specific sense. Uh, in the Gospels, you know, remember the story in the Gospels when there are two blind men and they see, they, they know that Jesus has uh, walked past them and they call out to Jesus and say, son of David, have mercy upon us. You know, they're not saying, oh, Jesus, you know, be nice to us. They're not even saying, oh, Jesus, you know, please forgive us our sins. What they're saying is, hey, Jesus, we're blind and we can't see and we hear that you can do miraculous things and we've got this physical, actual need and we're asking you, will you deal with it? Will you do something about it? Will you change it? And it's the same word that's used to describe the, the Good Samaritan, who meets actual need. The Good Samaritan meets financial, um, medical, physical, material, economic need, and is described as the one who did mercy. So what does this mean for us, and, and how are we going to avoid being judged if we're not being merciful as a congregation? Um, is James talking in the general sense of merciful as being kind or forgiving? Or is he talking about them in a more specific sense? Well, um, we know because of verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So that's what he means then. You see how direct and challenging this is. There's, there's no hiding in James. There's no way to fudge this. Um, James has the audacity to say judgment, and that's God's word by the way, judgment will be without mercy for those who, are, who have shown no mercy. And just to make sure that we get it, James here is using the word mercy both in its general and its specific sense in the same sentence. He's saying that God will judge us as individuals, God will judge us as a congregation if we just talk about love and justice and mercy, but we don't put our money where our mouth is and we actually help people address their needs. What James is saying is if we don't care about the poor, and by that he means the materially poor, as well as um, those parts of our communities that may be being discriminated against in any way, um, I don't know, based on their race or their gender or their sexual orientation, or whatever it may be, if we don't care about the poor, God will judge us. That's what this passage is about. Judgment will be without mercy for those who have shown no mercy. 
told you to buckle in. There it is. I mean, that's it. You know, we are to be a community sensitive to and radically committed to justice and mercy, not just in our words and in our thoughts, but actually in our deeds. Okay, let's move on. Good thing about James, even though he's, you know, fairly direct, um, he never just says, just do it because I say so. That, that's a relief. But what he does is he goes on to give us solid theological reasons as to why we should do this and how we are kind of to become this community of justice and mercy. And it's like he's saying, you know, this is important because this is the nature of God. This is who God is. This is the nature of spiritual maturity. James is all about, the book of James is all about spiritual maturity. This is the nature of salvation. This is the essence of the good news. So why are we to become a community like that? Well, again, have a look at verse 1. Uh, my brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. This phrase, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, what is that, what is that about? And, and that word there, glorious, is actually saying that Jesus, it's like saying Jesus is the Lord of glory. Um, and, in the, and, and glory in the Bible, you know, it doesn't just mean sort of, you know, brightness and wow. Um, the glorious is the important. The glorious is um, the significant. The glorious is the beautiful. To say that Jesus is the Lord of glory is to say that he and our relationship with him is the supremely important thing. It is the supremely beautiful thing. And what James is doing is he's connecting this glory, this importance, this beauty of Jesus with the rest of the chapter as it relates to the poor. And, and James is saying, if we really understand the glory of God and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be a people of justice and mercy. In fact, when he says in verses 1 to 4, if we don't treat others as equals, if we don't see every human being as infinitely valuable and of great dignity and worth, James is saying we don't understand glory. So how does um, belief in the glory of God lead to a life of justice and mercy? Well, it's all rooted um, as it says in Genesis 1.27, in, in this idea of the imago Dei, um, or that we are all made in the image of God. And this concept, the concept of the imago Dei, is the, the idea that all men, all women, have something within them that God has imbued, which gives everyone a uniqueness, a worth, a, it gives dignity. You know, when we're talking about the image of God, there aren't gradations on it, you know? It's not like, well, I'm a bit more like God than you are. I've got more of the Imago Dei in me than you do. It doesn't work like that. If we don't become people of justice and mercy, it's quite simply because we don't understand that every human being is made in the image of God. And as an aside, as a body of people who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who believe that each and every one of us is indeed made in the image of God, will God not judge us if we who profess that belief are less merciful and less just than the people in the world who don't profess to believe that humanity is made in the image of God? 
Judgment will be without mercy for those who've shown no mercy. And there's more. But don't worry, I am coming into land. Because now we have to say, okay, well, how do we do all of this, right? How um, do we become these people of justice and mercy? I mean, it's not enough for James to just get up there and say, you know, you believe in the image of God, uh, you believe everyone's made in the image of God, um, so you're going to be, you know, um, uh, you're, you're going to be just and you're going to be merciful, right? Because in all honesty, the answer is, well, yes, we do. Um, we do believe that everyone is made in the image of God, but for some reason, we're not quite there yet on being just and merciful. It hasn't kind of filtered through. And one of the things that I think can help us become a people of justice and mercy um, is beauty. Have a look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Uh, the noble name of him to whom you belong carries with it this idea of beauty. And an understanding of beauty, of seeing the other as the father sees them, is going to be a catalyst that transforms us into being a people who act justly and love mercy. What James is saying in this whole, in his whole book actually is that if we have a gospel faith but it doesn't result in gospel work then it's not gospel faith. It's not vital. It's, it's, it's not alive. Verse 17, in the same way faith by itself if it's not accompanied by works and by action is dead. And what are the works? Well the works are mercy and justice. That's, that's what this chapter is about, that's what James is effectively about. And so James says in verse 2, suppose someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor person in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor one, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And, you know, this is a really potent powerful image because here you know filthy uh, means what it says I mean it's filthy it's disgusting it's revolting that's what's being described and if a poor person comes into our meeting and, and we're not courteous and we're not gracious and we don't invite them to come and sit next to us and treat them as our equal James is saying you don't really understand the gospel then why not well I think it's about beauty and beauty is all about seeing the way God sees, whether that's through you know, the wonder of nature or the world in which we live or, um, or the beauty just of our fellow humanity. Augustine describes beauty as a plank amid the waves of the sea. Uh, in her book On Beauty and Being Just, Elaine um, Scaria writes, beauty quickens. It adrenalizes, it makes the heart beat faster, it makes life more vivid, animated, living, worth living. Beauty rescues. It rescues because it is merciful and comforting. It heals, restores, revives, renews. And I love this line, it is, it is, it is as though one has suddenly been washed up onto a merciful beach. And beauty um, seeing the true nature of things through the eyes of God is how we become a people of justice and mercy. It's about seeing the imago Dei 
indelibly and uniquely expressed in the person standing right in front of you, no matter who they are. It's about not judging. It's about not seeing their appearance or hearing their accent or determining their gender or their race or their sexuality or whatever it may be that we think divides us. It's about seeing the other as the Father sees them. But the real beauty we all need to see is the beauty of Jesus, the Son of God who became that poor man at one of our meetings, the one whose lowly birth in a stable we're all about to celebrate, the one from Isaiah 53 who had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, the one who was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, the one from whom people hide their faces, the one who took up our pain and bore our suffering, the one who was crushed for our iniquities, the one by whom, whose wounds we are healed. Because when we've seen the beauty of Jesus, when we've grasped and seen the devastating beauty of what Christ accomplished for us all on the cross, when we see the beauty of who Jesus really is, all we want to do is reflect that beauty. All we want to do is participate in it. All we want to do is be around it and be near it. It's so compelling. All we'll want to be is a people of justice and mercy, not because we have to, but because we have little other choice. And so as we focus our attention on being a people who want to see that justice is done, who want mercy to be our first concern and who want to walk humbly uh, with our God, um, let's all take some time this week just to be in the presence of God and um, as David says in Psalm 27, to, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and in light of his goodness and grace, in light of his justice and mercy, let's invite the Spirit of God to help us see the Imago Day of everyone um, we meet. To help us become a people who embody the kingdom of God through justice and mercy. Why don't you stand?